Welcome to the Present Centered Life Podcast. In every episode, we talk about how to live your day-to-day life centered around the presence of God and the person of Jesus. We hope today's episode will stir up hunger for God in you. Hello and welcome back to the Present Centered Life Podcast. We are excited to bring to you our second series. Thank you for all of our listeners to our very first series. And if you're picking up with this series, you can certainly go back and listen to Keys to Living a Present-Centered Life. And so now as we open up this second series, it's going to be Mystics and Revivalists, A Conversation. We are excited to set that up today, talk about why we learn from the lives of the mystics and revivalists that have gone before us. And we're so grateful to get to put this content together. We recently did this on a Wednesday night class and did several sessions on our favorite historic revivalists and mystics and what we have learned from their lives. And we get to share that today with you, our audience. And so as always, we will take some time, talk through the content, and then pray at the end. So you want to stay tuned until the very end. And we certainly invite you to pray with us. And again, we just want to thank everyone who's been listening and following along with our podcast. And we want to welcome you back to this second series. We are so excited to get to dive even deeper in a conversational format into the lives of people whose testimony has deeply impacted us. They are present right now in heaven as a part of the great cloud of witnesses, and we're going to discuss their lives and the lessons learned in this upcoming series, Mystics and Revivalists, A Conversation. Hannah, do you have any thoughts you want to throw in? Yeah, I'm just so excited to talk through these um, people together, these historical figures of the faith, and I just get so much courage and so much excitement when I look at the stories of, of other people. I get provoked by their faith. I, um, I'm challenged by the radical things some people do in their pursuit of God. I'm instructed by their mistakes. And I think ultimately, like looking, there's just so much value to learn from the people who've gone before us and to, to see what's possible in God, what people living flesh and blood people have actually done in their human weakness and what God uses anybody for who's a willing vessel before him. So I love talking about it. I feel my faith stirred. I did when we taught the class together and I'm excited just to talk about the content together and see what God's saying to, to me again through and in this. So Hazen, I wouldn't was wondering, would you mind, you know, we're talking, we're going to be talking about different revivalists and mystics. Let's go ahead and just lay out those terms. How would you define a revivalist? Like to the person who's listening, what does that mean? Yeah, so we have different expressions of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament especially. And we have in the Old Testament pictures of prophets or kings who helped bring the nation into reformation and transformation. And so I believe both uh, Old Testament and New Testament, we see expressions of revivalists and reformers who were uniquely anointed by God to lead movements that were transformational. I think of Josiah as someone who was a, a, a reformer in his day and someone who brought revival to the nation of Israel. I think of the example of Elijah, someone who turned the heart of Israel back to God through the confrontation yeah. at Mount Carmel. 
And then you see within the New Testament, obviously Jesus brought powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit everywhere he went where people were delivered of demonic forces, they were physically healed, and people's hearts were radically changed. And so when I think of revival, one of the chief verses that we look to is in the book of Acts. I believe it's uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 19. I could be mistaken, but it was Acts chapter 4, verse 19. And it says, uh, Peter's preaching, and he says, repent and believe upon the Lord that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord and that he might send Jesus back. And just paraphrasing that verse. And this idea of times of refreshing, well, there have been people historically that have been catalytic in leading out in times of refreshing. We've seen that even in modern days in the First Great Awakening, men like Jonathan Edwards, Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney, the Azusa Street Revival with William Seymour, and many others leading, whether it's a small move of God's Spirit in a local congregation, a regional move of God's Spirit, or ones that have touched entire nations and awakening. Those are people that are exemplary of that idea that they are uh, ushering in times of refreshing through calling the church to repentance. And we certainly see that in the life of Jesus, in the life of Peter, in the life of Paul, times where the phenomenon of God was even expressed in a greater measure through their lives. There wasn't always, it, it wasn't an everyday occurrence that Peter's shadow healed the sick. There was a season of time where God visited with an unusual measure of God's presence and power upon Peter's life. And those are the seasons of revival. Those are the seasons of the phenomenon of God. And we want to learn to be grateful for the movement of God in the times that are between. And we also want to learn to be hungry for seasons when God pours out His Spirit on our life and our family and our church in ways that are uh, exceptional. We want to treasure those times and believe God for them. So that's kind of the way I would describe revivalists and the seasons of revival that they led in, both biblically and historically. Thanks for that question. I want to shoot the same question back to you. You asked me the question about revivalists. And just to be clear, I'm not the revivalist and Hannah's not the mystic. I like <laughs> the mystics too, okay? And she likes the revivalists too. But I want to ask you that question. How would you define what a mystic is and, and how you think about them when you think about what the mystics are? from scripture, from history. Yeah. Before I um, speak into that, I do want to comment on what you said about revivalists, a scripture that comes to my mind connected with, you know, God supporting these reformers who bring his will and transformation manifest into society, different spheres of society. Um, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, so he may strongly support Who's those whose heart is completely his. And I feel like revivalists carry that heart and they're actually making a dwelling place for God in their own hearts in a way that it spills over into their domain of influence, whatever that may be. And the presence of God is actually manifest in a place. And that's so stirring. And I think contemplatives and mystics, um, those lang- those terms could be used um, interchangeably, are kind of the other side of that coin. While revivalists are releasing that dwelling place of God and the Spirit into their external environment through their prayers, through their faith, through whatever it may be, we'll look more into that. 
mystics and contemplatives are actually themselves making space to uh, to be a dwelling place for God themselves. And that actually is the definition of the word contemplative. Contempla with temple is just actually a dwelling place for God in the spirit. And um, the word mystic, if you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, I have the definition pulled up here, is a person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. So that's the fancy way of saying a mystic is someone who believes that communication and fellowship with the divine or otherworldly is possible and that they that you can hear from God, that you can communicate, you can fellowship with the divine, with the spirit of God. So I think you made all of us mystics just now, those of us who believe that John 10 is right, that he is our shepherd and the sheep hear his voice. And so I love the simplicity of that definition and the invitation that we can all commune with the divine and to contempla, to consider and to be a dwelling place of God in the spirit, which is what the scripture says we're called to be. Yeah, Romans 12 says... I urge you to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I love that. And I wanted to correct my earlier misreference of Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And I want to just read it, even as Hannah read that verse. As we think about presenting ourselves to a living, as living sacrifice to God, that is our spiritual act of service, of worship. This idea that we become a dwelling place for God and then as as mystics and then as revivalists, we bring that impact of communion into our sphere and domain. Acts 3.19, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send to you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. And that word refreshment, that's the closest word to revival in the New Testament. It actually means to restore breath in the original Greek. And so that's mm-hmm. our prayer today, even for you. I, I'm going to take a moment, pray right now, and then we'll have a little further discussion. God, I, I pray right now for those listening who didn't realize, Lord, what was burning in their heart, that they actually long to be a mystic, to be a revivalist, to be one who communes with you, to present themselves as a living sacrifice, and ones who believe for the times of refreshing, the times of restored breath, that those who are exhausted even, those who are themselves in need of reviving and refreshing, that they would receive that today from the presence of the Lord, that even this podcast would be an invitation from the heart of God, into deeper fellowship, into deeper engagement, refreshing encounter, that the Spirit of God would break forth in their inner person, even in this moment, Lord. And for those that might have stumbled on this podcast and and don't have a relationship with God, they're not sure what it is to commune with God through the through the through the Holy Spirit and through faith in the person of Jesus. Lord, we pray that they would in this moment just have a, a supernatural understanding of who God is, of his invitation to them through the gospel, 
and they would have hunger, Lord, to encounter you and to be changed. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, with that defining of the terms revivalists and mystics, I'm curious, Hazen, if you want to just, just share some thoughts into the why. Like, why, why should we look into the stories of these saints of old? What value does it bring to us? I know you, you mentioned a few things, but if you could just speak into that more. Yeah, and I want to dial in on a few things that you said earlier because you listed off several reasons why we look at people's historical lives. And I want to give a, a little uh, deeper thought on, on a few of them. One, uh, because people who have done great things in God are, are worthy of us discussing uh, they are, as I said earlier, part of the, the great cloud of witnesses that's described in Hebrews. They're part of the family of faith. We're going to have the joy one day of entering into the eternal kingdom with, with those that have gone before us and done great exploits in God. Hebrews 12 is a great example of a place where heroes of the faith are recounted. And in that recounting of the heroes of the faith, it's amazing because many of them are victories and then others are places in the natural that would seem tragic and, and like great loss. And all of those things are exemplary of faith. And we are to look at those who have gone before us uh, and those who are even presently cheering us on in heavenly places. And, and we're to look at their example. We're to model our faith in the same manner. And so the simplest answer is we look at their lives because we're all a part of the same story. Mm. Secondly, I would say, that uh, we can learn from their successes and model our, our lives after their successes and, and, and gain wisdom from that. And I believe the Spirit will speak through those things to us. I also think something you hit on is very important is these were imperfect people, though they did great things in God. And we can also equally learn from their mistakes. And so I would say those are kind of the three big thoughts uh, that we that we are all a part of the same story and we learn things about who God is and how to live for God from the examples of those who've gone before us. And especially we can gain from the great victories and we also can learn from their mistakes. And so those would be the spaces that I think we want to have discussion around. And I think the word that comes to mind also is provocation, that that we can be stirred out of our places of complacency or challenged to faithfulness by those, by the inspiration that lives of great sacrifice and faith present to us. Yeah, as you're sharing that, uh, funny examples coming to my mind about our son, Elisha, because you know, you know, he's so obsessed with Spider-Man right now. And, yes. Um, <laughs> in many ways, Spider-Man is his current hero and the one he looks to and it actually is calling out these wonderfully noble things in Elisha's heart that are already there, but he has this model of strength, of courage, of rescuing and protecting those who are weaker, that he goes out there, he puts on his Spider-Man suit, pulls on his mask, and goes into the backyard and just conquers all the, the villains and saves the lives of all who are in need, and it's just he's provoked by who Spider-Man is. And I know it's a silly example, but it's just, it's, I, I'm, I'm being instructed by even him. 
at dinner the other night, he said, I want to dye my hair brown because in the cartoons that he watches, Spider-Man's hair is brown. He said, can I make my hair brown? Because he so much wants to be like Spider-Man. But the point that you're making, though it's a funny example, is we become what we behold. And we certainly are all looking to Jesus ultimately, but when we look at, at Jesus exemplified in the lives of the heroes of our faith, another point that I want to mention, I mentioned those three, but they also give us a life, uh, can give us an example of the life of Christian faith in a in a different context, a wider context than what the scripture yeah. gives us. The scripture gives us a very narrow historical context, but when we look at the lives of people that have lived throughout church history, we can see how people exemplified those same values, but in a different context, and that can also be a way to be provoked. And so I love the point that you're making. Everyone needs heroes, and we should pick our heroes wisely. <laughs> That's right. One other point I want to make about the three points you said related to the humanness of the people that we look at, um, we can learn from their mistakes, but I think we also can receive permission that it's also possible for us in our own weaknesses, in our own struggles. They may not be the same struggles that these men and women of faith that we're going to look at have, um, that God uses us in, in our humanness in our ordinariness, right. that those things don't actually disqualify us. They actually qualify us because what we're describing is the power of God at work in us. And it is actually Him who's being made manifest, not anything that we can bring to the table. So I find a lot of freedom in that and permission that even if my struggles aren't the same, I, I am just as human and God can just as easily use little old me. So, You know, I've heard it said, and I think it's really true, that if you wanted to eliminate things in the Bible that were written, you said, I'm not going to read anything written by an adulterer. I'm not going to read anything written by a murderer. I'm not going to read anything written by an idolater. You'd have to get rid of the book of Proverbs, big portions of the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, because... David was a murderer and an adulterer. Solomon was, uh, you know, multiplied his wives and had, uh, and uh, had idolatry in, in different seasons of of his life that he grappled with and had to be called to account on. Uh, Paul the apostle was a, a murderer, a, cha- a changed man, but still someone who did that in his life, condoned the killing of Christians, and so large portions of the New Testament. If you're looking for perfect people to learn from in the Christian faith, they're really not there. And even the Bible is exemplary of that. And so I think that's a good point even for us to close on, that as we look at these historical characters, we're not saying that their theology or even their manner of life was perfect. What we are saying is that there are invaluable lessons to be learned from the way they lived out their life with God and that there was good fruit that was produced even though they were imperfect. Uh, and in some cases, uh, deeply flawed individuals. There are lessons that we can learn because we ourselves are trying to walk out of faith with God as imperfect and deeply flawed people. And so on that note, would you actually close us in with just a word of prayer along those lines? And we'll be done with this first session. So our second one coming up soon, be sure to tune in. We've done this first one kind of on an introduction to what it means to be revivalist and mystic. Our second one will cover a few 
mystics and contemplatives, and you don't want to miss the stories of their lives and the lessons you can learn. So Hannah, pray for us and we'll be done. Father, I thank you so much that we are part of a larger story and that we can take courage and and learn so much from those who have gone before us. And I just pray over these next episodes as we look into the lives of our brothers and sisters in the faith, Lord, that we would be instructed, provoked, challenged, and invited to lay hold of all that is possible in you and in this life of faith, God. And I just pray for your grace and anointing to be on every person who listens, that they would sense your spirit speaking to them um, specifically of what of what their invitation is in terms of offering wholeheartedness to you and being a dwelling place for you, being a contemplative, one who is a dwelling place for you, Lord, for being a revivalist and a mystic. And speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to our second series, Revivalists and Mystics, A Conversation. Thank you for joining us, and this has been our introductory session. We're so glad that you joined us, and remember to subscribe to check out all of our content, and of course to visit us for additional content. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can certainly check out the full class that we offered, Revivalists and Mystics, and that's available on thepresentcenteredlife.com. So we look forward to having you join us for our next our next session.